Good afternoon. Hope everyone is doing well. We're going to continue marching through the Gospel of Luke, and we are in the section in the middle of the book where Jesus is on the road with his disciples, and they are heading to Jerusalem, and Jesus is taking the opportunity to teach his disciples on some key topics. So he talks about prayer. He talks about mercy. He talks about money. He talks about distraction. And we come to a passage of scripture where he talks about a topic that unfortunately we all know a little too well, the topic of anxiety. We all know the crippling effects that anxiety can have on our lives, but I was reminded this week that anxiety is not new, though in our culture, There are new things that make us anxious. We know we live in an anxious time with a lot going on in our city, a lot going on in our country, a lot going on in the world that can make us anxious, but anxiety is not new. I was reminded of the poet W.H. Auden who wrote a poem called The Age of Anxiety, and he wrote this in 1947. He says, actually talking about New Yorkers, by the way. He says this, faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play, lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. And you think, well, that's a little dramatic, isn't it? But the powerful picture Right? Maybe for us, it's not at the bar at night, you know, processing the day, like clinging on to the life, the little bit of life we have, but we understand the reality is like, hey, the lights can't go out. The music can't fade. The next Netflix series can't be over. The social media scrolling can't end because what if I'm face to face with my anxiety? What am I going to do? What if I can't distract myself? What if I can't turn up the volume to something else? What if I can't numb this feeling? What if I can't silence the voice of of anxiety? What if I come face to face with my own anxious heart? What then? And we all know anxiety affects all parts of our lives, our relationships, our parenting, our friendships, our work performance, our faith, and our health. In fact, one study I read said that doctors say that 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are stress or anxiety related. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic wrote this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. Though I've never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot who died of worry. This is a topic we are too familiar with. The voice of anxiety, the effects of anxiety, the sleepless nights of anxiety. So what happens when we come face to face with it? What does Jesus have to say? Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, 
They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, two very simple questions I want us to talk about um, that this passage answers. First, where does anxiety come from? So Jesus commands us here, do not be anxious. And we think, yeah, this is a command I would love to obey. I, I would kill to obey this command of Jesus. If I could just not be anxious and just turn it off like a light switch, I would. Do you think I want to lay awake all night anxious? Do you, want, you think I want to feel exhausted and sick from anxiety? You think I want to numb my anxiety? Yeah, I would love to get rid of my anxiety. Do you think I like obsessively Googling something because I'm worried? No, of course not. But how? And I want to be clear here. Jesus is talking about a type of anxiety that comes from us not trusting in God. He's not talking about what we would call today clinical anxiety. That's a bit different. But how does he describe it? What is it? Where does it come from? And we have to see this passage in context. Uh, last week, Kyle spoke about the, the uh, one guy who came to Jesus who had resources, and, G and he was anxious about what to do with his resources. This week, the disciples come to Jesus, and they are also anxious, but they have the opposite problem. They lack resources. So they wonder... Is God going to come through for me? His disciples were envisioning a future where they did not have what they needed for life. Anxiety is always future-oriented. It looks to the future and believes that God will not get it right. God will not come through for me. We will not have what we actually need for what we see as the good life. God, are you going to keep your promises? God, are you going to provide? God, this doesn't look to be going very well. Are you going to come through? God, we're down to the wire here. I'm worried. See, anxiety is different from fear. 
Fear is a response to what's happening in the moment, a present circumstance. Anxiety looks to the future. I love the way Joe Carter says this. Fear is an emotional response to a real or perceived immediate threat. Anxiety is an emotional response to a real or perceived future threat. Fear is a physiological and or emotional warning system that alerts us to danger right now. Anxiety is a warning system of impending danger. And we all know what this feels like, right? We're anxious about our finances. Why? Well, what if one day I don't have enough? We're anxious about our relationships because what if one day I don't get married and I want to? What if one day this relationship falls apart? We're anxious for our health. Because what if one day I get sick and can't be there for my family? We're anxious for our kids. What if they take the wrong path, our jobs? What if I lose this one too? And so we look to the future like false prophets. We see impending doom, we see impending unhappiness and pain, but we don't see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We don't see a God who's gonna come through on his promises, so we are filled with worry. And here's the difficult part of this. Most of our worries are about events that will never happen. Most of the things that are keeping you up at night are actually events that will never happen. You have um, envisioned a future where the worst has happened minus the promises of God. We think, well, yeah, I get that, but what if that thing that I dread happens? I I don't think I can handle it. Like, I don't think I have what it takes to go through that. And this is a really dangerous idea that the enemy uses and twists to paralyze us. Because it's partly true. Yeah, right now, yeah, you don't have the resources to handle that future trial that doesn't exist. Right? God doesn't give hypothetical grace for the anxiety that you've envisioned in your head. But if you were to actually go through it, he would give you real grace. Does that make sense? Like he doesn't give, he gives daily bread. He gives us strength for the day. As the hymn says, strength for the day, bright hope for tomorrow. That's real strength, that's real grace for real trials. But anxiety lives in our minds in the future. And there's not grace. We don't need to look to the future and worry about all the things that could go wrong. We can look to the future and rest in a God who will carry us through even if what we most dread actually happens. Real strength for real trials that a real God who is really strong will provide. That's the hope of our faith. See, the disciples were anxious about food and clothing. And Jesus just like, hey, guys, 
I get it. You need that stuff to live. I know it's important. But can we step back and actually look about, look and see what life is really about? Verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if we take anything, any perceived need, and we make that the center of our universe, we will be anxious about not getting it. We'll be anxious about losing it. Because that thing is our all in all. It's that relationship, it's that amount of money, it's that amount of security, it's that amount of comfort, it's this type of family, it's this type of job. And we say, well, I have to have this to be happy, so I'm actually very anxious about not having it. Our anxieties are always linked with our desires, wants, needs, and love. What you believe will bring you ultimate joy, value, and significance is always linked to what you're anxious about. If we give ultimate value to our comfort, we will be anxious about the idea of physical pain. If we give ultimate value to the approval of others, we will be anxious of somebody's criticism. If we give ultimate value to relationships, we will be anxious of those relationships disintegrating. See, the power that something has to provoke anxiety in you is always tied to how much you think you need it. So the question for us this afternoon is a difficult one. What do your anxieties say that you trust in? What do your anxieties say that you really love? If we look below the surface of our anxieties, what desires, what loves, what cravings are driving us? Second question, how can we find relief from our anxiety? So we see the situation, the disciples are anxious, and we know the feeling. They've looked to the future, and they're like, you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to have what I need for me to live the good Life. So what does Jesus tell them? You could summarize his message in two parts. First, he says, you have to see God as a good father. And second, he says, you have to seek God's kingdom first. So the first is a thinking command. Consider, think about, how do you see God? And the second is an action. So how do we begin to see God as a good Father, let's break this apart. Jesus here is saying that our anxiety often comes from not living like we have a good heavenly father. Yeah, maybe in our minds we think that's true. Maybe if I were to ask you about, hey, do you believe God is good and cares for you and he's your father? And you'd be like, yeah, check, 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 check. Doctrine, all good. But why, why aren't you living like that? Why are you up all night worrying? So he says this, first, consider your value. Jesus' first illustration is about the birds. He says, consider the ravens who did not make the Super Bowl. That would have been great if they did, but they didn't. Um, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Okay, this is a simple point. 
Look at the ravens. Do they have jobs? No. Do they have refrigerators? No. Do they have pantries? No. Do they have bodegas? No. Yet God still feeds them. God still takes care of them. And the point that Jesus is making is, hey, you have more value than the birds. You are made in the image of God. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. You're part of the royal family. You're adopted into God's family. You're of more value than the birds. So if God cares for the birds, how much more is he going to care for a son or daughter? Now, if you had no heavenly father, maybe anxiety would be appropriate. Yeah, I need to worry. I need to fight. I need to scrape for everything that I have and everything that I need because who else is going to look out for me? Nobody. So I got to get out there and get mine. But what if you do have a good heavenly father? What if you are part of the royal family? What if you are adopted in? Then worry just doesn't make sense. God of the universe sees you. He cares for you. He knows your needs. He's committed to you. He's committed to the birds in the field. How much more to you? I love the way Elizabeth Cheney, who wrote a poem in 1859 called Overheard in an Orchard, says it. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. Do we know our value as sons and daughters of God that he sees us like that? Second, we are to consider our limitations. Jesus basically says, hey, um, how effective is your anxiety? Like, what is it accomplishing for, like, the outcomes in your life? Verse 25, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's an interesting question. How many of you can guarantee to add hours to your life? None. No one. Well, how many hours can we guarantee to add to our life if we're anxious about it? What about um, if we stay up all night worrying about adding hours to our life? How many can we add then? None. So Jesus is saying, not only does it not make sense because you have a father who cares for you, it doesn't make sense because it does no good. Because, listen, you know who can add um, hours to their, your life? God. He is God, you are not, and that's Jesus' point. We gotta quit acting like God. Our anxieties sometimes are us playing God. I wanna be in control. Love the way Charles Spurgeon said it. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. We can be anxious about tomorrow all day today, it's not going to change anything about tomorrow, but it's going to change a lot about today. 
Anxiety, sometimes uh, we maintain this illusion that we control our own destiny. Oh, if I can manipulate it, if I can control it, if I can make it happen, then I can be happy. And Jesus is saying, listen, life is out of your control. Life is a gift from God, so worry does no good. The most freeing posture that we can take today is letting God be God. Let God be God, and let's embrace our role as children of God. We are not God, but we are children of God. We're not God. We don't run the universe, but we are loved children of God. So we have to consider our limitations. Thirdly, we have to consider our security. This is what the final illustration is about. It's about the flowers. And the idea that Jesus is getting at is, look at the flowers. Aren't they beautiful? Aren't they amazing? Even the rich man Solomon in all of his glory wasn't even anything compared to the flowers. And listen, the flowers are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Like we just mow them with the lawnmower and they're gone. We throw them away. There's no security. There's no safety. It's all temporary. But if God clothes the grass of the field with these beautiful flowers, how much is he going to provide for you? How much is he going to care for you? At what length is he willing to go to provide you with what you need? Can we even trust him when he says that he's going to provide? And this is where it gets really interesting. Because when we look at the gospel... You say, well, how do we know that we can actually trust God? How do we know that he's actually going to come through for us? Well, the story of Jesus doesn't end here. He's on the road. The road ends in Jerusalem where Jesus will die upon a Roman cross. Jesus knew that ultimately to meet the needs of his disciples, his, their ultimate needs, the need to be reconciled to their father, the need to be forgiven of their sins, their need for mercy, their need for grace, their need for new life, it would require him to go to the cross where he would give it all for us. And listen to what Paul says, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, if you're checked out, maybe check back in for one second. This is a powerful, voice, a powerful verse. You see, you see the logic that Paul is doing. Hey, he said, hey, does it make sense that God would give, give everything for you? He'd send his one and only son from heaven to earth that he would die upon a Roman cross and give it all for you to meet your biggest need. Does it make sense that that same God would ignore your little need that you have on Monday morning? He goes on, Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Same point, a little different spin. He says, listen, when you were an enemy of God, because of your sin, you were an enemy of God, and God died for you as an enemy, how is he gonna treat you now that you are his son? 
if when you are an enemy, he died for you, what is he going to provide for you now that you're a son? You're part of the family. You're dearly loved. How is he going to sustain us with his life? So we have to consider the ravens and know that we are cared for and loved. We have to consider the lilies and realize that God is our provider. We are safe and secure in his hands. Finally, Paul give, or Jesus gives us an action. Not only are we to consider things and change the way that we think, and we are to see God as a good father, but we are also to seek God's kingdom first. Verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This verse gives us a very important biblical principle. It shows us the upside down nature of kingdom living. We are more blessed when we give than we receive. Huh? We find real life by giving our life away, dying to ourselves. When we seek God's way in his kingdom, we actually find everything that we need. When we give everything away for Jesus, we actually find everything that we were looking for. And you're like, that's all upside down. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Some of us have been seeking after joy and contentment our whole lives, and every time we think we grabbed it, it slips out of our hands. Every time it's so close, it's just right out of our grasp. And Jesus is saying, well, seek my kingdom first, and joy is a byproduct. We'll throw joy in. Some of you have been seeking a type of inner peace or safety. And every time you think you have that peace, it's just out of your grasp. And Jesus is saying, seek first my kingdom. And all these things, peace is thrown in. N.T. Wright put it this way. Put the world first and you will find it gets moth eaten in your hands. Put God first and you'll get the world thrown in. That's the principle of kingdom living. Seek first things first, and you get the second things thrown in. Seek second things first, and you lose first things and second things. So we see God as a good father, and we seek his kingdom first. What would it look like for you today with your current set of circumstances, your gifts, your resources to seek God's kingdom first. What are the secondary things that you have began, you're now seeking more than the first things? Those are hard questions. And as I was wrestling with this idea of anxiety this week, I read a quote by a, a parenting expert, someone who does counseling a lot with parents and kids who I respect, and she said this. She said, a parent's job is to find balance and be the calmest person in the room. Ugh. We are to help our kids move towards healthy risk under our safe, emotionally stable, trusting, and watchful eye. Ugh. And you read that and you're like, yes, Lord, that's what I want. 
I don't want to be the stressed out, anxious parent yelling all the time. I don't want to be the parent helicoptering over my kid and I don't want them to take healthy risks. I want to be that type of non-anxious presence in my home. And it was as if God this week nudged me and was like, hey, you know how you become that non-anxious presence in your home? It's actually by trusting in your non-anxious God. That in fact, what your kids need from you, you need to find in him. That actually, we come to God as children. We can take healthy risk because we know we are in the safe, stable, trusting, watchful eye of our loving Father. And once we start to live like that and receive that from God, all of a sudden I can take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. Our God is in control. He loves me. He actually really does care for me. and He proved it on the cross. He's never left me or abandoned me. He's in control. I'm stressed out. He's not stressed out. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He has a plan. So yeah, I'm going to move forward as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. I'm going to go out and take risks because I'm under his safe and stable and powerful and watchful eye. We can be free from anxiety because Christ himself has been anxious for us. And I was just thinking, we were singing that song about the goodness of God. It's like the, the, the thought of God's goodness to me is overwhelming. And when we talk about anxiety, it's always tied to trust and it's always tied to God's goodness. You see, and some of us have had the theory of God's goodness tested. It's no longer um, abstract to you. You've been in the valley of the shadow of death, you've been broken. You've been hurt. You've gone through hell on earth. And you've seen the other side. That God was still good. That he was still faithful. That though you thought he wasn't going to come through, he did. I remember sitting around with my extended family and my great uncle, who was uh, kind of the head of the family, he was getting up in age, very close to his death, and his, him and his wife would sit at the piano, and he would sing. His, his, he was old, so his voice was very raspy, could barely get it out. And I remember him singing, his, uh, I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. And I remember him starting the song. And I remember him just beginning to sob, barely getting the words out. Why? Because he had been through some stuff. He'd seen the goodness of God firsthand. He knew what it was to be seen and cared for by his father and to be on the other side of it. In my church, we have a lot of young people. And sometimes when they go through their first major crisis, they're asking all these big questions. You know, all of a sudden they're like philosophy experts and they're like, you know, this, I don't even know about any of this stuff. It's all crazy, the word of God. And I'm like, no, you're just going through a trial and you need to look through to an older saint who's been through 20 of them. 
and let them say, just hang on, because there's somebody hanging on to you. The Apostle Peter says it this way, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's so simple, isn't it? Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. We can look to our future and we can say, whatever comes, it is well with my soul because we know our God who cares for us. And I love what he says here, and I'm going to land this plane. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that tender? Fear fear not, little flock. Like, I know you've been through it. I know there's dangers around the corner. I know this is scary. I know that some of the stuff that's causing you anxiety is very real. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you. Just a little bit. The entire kingdom of God. It is his reluctance. It is, um, he hesitantly gives you just a little bit to get by. No, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. He delights in it. He loves it. It's his joy as your father to pour out his love and his grace and his mercy on you. So if you are anxious today, maybe this afternoon we just need to pray and ask God to reorient our hearts to really see God properly as our good father. Maybe some of you know that but you've been seeking after other things. Second things have become first things. And today you need to reorient your life to seeking God's kingdom first. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you that you have been so good to us. God, we can't believe how you've loved us as we sang this afternoon. We can't believe it. We stand in awe. God, we don't want it to get old, stale. We want to remember afresh how you have been so good to us, that you are the father you say that you are, that when we consider the ravens, we say we're more valuable than then. How much are you more are you going to provide for us? When we consider the lilies, we know that you care. So God, today, then we slow down. Take a deep breath and know that we are under your care and watchful eye. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.